All right, Mitty, let's get this show on the road. Mitty. Mitty. Now podcasting for the Smitty and Mitty Show, number one, Mitty. Every time. Yeah, probably. I don't, I don't see why not. It's time for the best battery in sports. <laughs> you good, Mitty? Just give me a second here. <laughs> yeah, okay. This is the Smitty and Mitty Show. Back at it again for another week here on the Smitty and Mitty Show. Some big things coming in the next few weeks, Mitty. Let me tell you, some big things coming. Take two on the intro. Take two, baby. There's always technical difficulties somewhere, right? I just, I love that intro, but it gets a little worse the more you listen to it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's uh, that's kind of us. But really, hey. It kind of sums us up. Feel in your face. Don't touch me. Feel in your face a little clean, smooth. A little clean baby face over here at the Smitty and Mitty Show. Uh, Movember starts, well, today as of this recording. Uh, the month of November, big month for us. We're going to be raising some money, and we're going to look kind of stupid doing it. I love looking stupid. It's like my favorite thing. <laughs> Wait, I don't hobbies. know if we've thrown out there or the pictures we've done yet. Yeah, they're up online. Are they on all our social media pages? Smitty Mitty Show, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, you know, uh, Mitty, T-S-M-S on uh, on Twitter You always got to give yourself the shit out of Well, I got to go myself. It's a little low. I want it bigger. But uh, <laughs> I, I love goofing around and taking some funny pictures, and I love looking like this. I look smooth, but I'm going to look dumb. Yeah, so uh, we mentioned it last week on the show that we were going to be doing it, but hey, it's November now, it's here, and uh, why not donate if you have a little bit of extra cash laying around to our uh, Movember fund? We're obviously going to be raising funds for uh, men's mental health, prostate cancer, and uh, we're going to be growing these mustaches. You can keep uh, keep on top of our mustaches on our social media pages, but um, it's going to be a lot of fun for us, and it's going to be a lot of fun for you guys, hopefully, to, to see how stupid we look. And uh, remember, we got a little bet going here. We understand, first of all, that, that, you know, it's a tough time for everybody, okay? Like, people haven't been back to work. You might not have a whole lot of free-flowing cash, but, you know, a dollar helps. It really does, and it helps a cause that, that I think all of us believe in and all of us have, have been affected by, you know, men's mental health. But uh, don't forget, we have a little bet here, too, Noah, where the uh, the most guy, or the, the guy who raises the least is going to have to get a tattoo of a mustache. Unless we raise over $1,000, Noah. Then we're both going to get it. And I can't wait for it. I wish we get to that point. We've been both talking about it, actually, how we're kind of excited to do it. A little bit, yeah. So, who knows? Just, I'm excited because I want to raise $1,000 We both might end up doing it. Uh, so, we'll post the links on all our social media pages of how to donate, where you can donate. Obviously, just donate when you can, as much as you can. And like Mitty said... Every donation is appreciated, and we look forward to see, you know, in the coming weeks how much we can donate and how much we can raise for Movember. And on a side note, I want, are we, are we saying it here? Are we? Yeah, yeah, we are. All right, well, uh, we're, we're doing an event to try and raise some money for, for this charity. You know, at the end of the month, uh, we'll release our, our, you know, our guest list and our times, but basically we're, we're going to do a live show and we're going to invite people on to, to watch us do some talking, watch us do some interviews and uh, yeah, again, raise some money. And hopefully by that time we'll be able to, to say we're, we're just pushing over a thousand. And I think we agreed that everyone who donates, you know, send us a, 
a message. Let us know you donated, and we're going to enter your name into a draw for a little Smitty and Mitty Show uh, care package. Absolutely. Uh, so let us know when you have donated. We'll see when you do, uh, but let us know, and we'll put you in for a draw to win uh, some Mitty, Smitty and Mitty Show merch that, uh, by the way, is another new thing that kind of came out this week. It's been week. a big week for us. It has been a big week for us. Um, hats that are featuring the Smitty and Mitty Show logo are now available for purchase. Um, of course, all those proceeds kind of just go into helping us move into uh, what is our third big news to start the episode, hopefully our new studio in the coming weeks. Uh, uh, we get out of Smitty's bedroom and we go into Smitty's basement I'm miss for, a Smitty's new, bedroom. for a new studio. I'm going to miss the smell in here. <laughs> uh, regret, loneliness, there's so much of that in here. <laughs> Uh, but, uh, Mitty, let's get into this episode. It's an exciting episode as well this week, as uh, we kind of teased that a little bit on Twitter. I saw you did, and uh, we had some pretty good guesses, and I think we can say now that one of those guesses was bang on. As we get to welcome the first in, guess, it was really upsetting. <laughs> we get to bring on uh, one of the top golfers in Canada right now, and uh, a top 70 golfer in the world as well, who will be going to the Masters in the next couple weeks. Yeah, he was number 70th in the world, uh, Corey Connors from Listowel, Ontario. Um, he, he's a big name on the tour right now when it comes to Canadians, and uh, he was talking some some smack during the uh, during the interview. And I don't know if I appreciate it, but I do because I, I love <laughs> I love goofing around. That's kind of my thing. Yeah, so uh, it was an exciting talk as well. Like you said, we talked about. Uh, we say that all the time, though. Yeah, we do. You know how bad it would be if we came out here and said, "Guys, turn the episode off. This was terrible." <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know what? We're honest guys, but I don't think we'd ever do that. No. It just drives away all our listeners. But I also wouldn't throw an interview up that I didn't think was good. So Great guest joining us here as we have the uh, pleasure to be joined by uh, a local guy, a listable guy, and uh, a fantastic golfer as well, currently ranked 68th in the world, uh, Corey Connors. Corey, thank you for joining us today. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, kind of the way we started with, we had Mr. Leggett on a couple, uh, maybe three weeks ago, kind of the way I started with him what made you get into golf? Cause golf is a, is a sport that, you know, it takes money. It takes time. It's you're isolated from other people for the most part. So why golf? Yeah. It's, it's something that kind of ran in my family. My dad, he, you know, he's never a professional golfer by any means, but an avid golfer his whole life. Um, and just kind of ran in the, in the family, my uncle Steve's in the golf business as well. And in the area, um, so it's just always been something that my family's done and my dad introduced it to me or introduced me to golf at a young age and something that I just took a liking to. I've always been sort of an independent person and I didn't mind the aspect of, you know, you got to put in a lot of time by yourself. It's some team sports, you spend a lot of time practicing with your teammates, whatever, in golf, you're grinding out there by yourself and it's something that, you know, it'd be fun to have other people around in certain moments, but it's something that uh, I was able to, you know, make the most of and, and didn't uh, mind being alone out there working on things. So I'm um, got, got lucky, I guess. It's, I mean, not everyone's dad plays golf and if my dad didn't golf, I'm not sure, you know, I would have gotten into the game. And uh, so uh, things worked out pretty well. Now uh, you're obviously from a small town in Ontario, but how do you, how do you go from a small town in Ontario golfing to working your way to playing college in the States to where you are now? Like it's gotta be a, a tough transition to get noticed first of all. Yeah, it definitely is. You know, things have to fall in place, you know, correctly. You have to get some lucky breaks or you have to play well at the right times in order to get noticed. For me, uh, in Canada, they have a really good development program um, where you get sort of noticed at the provincial level, um, similar to other sports. And that translates into getting noticed at the national level. So I was fortunate to be part of the Golf Canada's national team 
uh, and then the Golf Association of Ontario was involved with some of their programs. Um, got noticed by them just by playing in the you know, provincial tournaments, which qualify for the national tournaments, et cetera. And, um, you know, start pl- getting a part of these programs or development systems. Then college coaches, you know, will start noticing your name, I guess. And um, I was fortunate you know, to get recruited at a pretty young age to go to Kent State and in Ohio. And the coach is actually from Canada, which is also another sort of lucky break because there weren't many uh, coaches at U.S. colleges, you know, recruiting up in Canada, but he had kind of found his little niche and he you know, typically could could get the top few players in Canada each year and he was able to do that. And unfortunately you know, for me, he was up there and saw me play well a few times and ultimately got a scholarship, which was, was great. And, you know, that whole system of college golf, you know, you're basically training to be a professional at that point. And, you know, I wasn't sure if golf was going to be my future when I started school, but, you know, wanted to work hard at it and see where it would take me. And after a few years at school, um, I knew that's what I wanted to do for a living and, you know, really stepped it up in my practice and tried to figure out ways to get better and figure out what I needed to do to make it into the pros. Now, I was fortunate enough to, to play some baseball in the States. Their college, my co-host here was not because he wasn't quite good enough, <laughs> but that's okay. Um and I know like the rigors of having to go to school and having to train and having to go to practice, but it's got to be different for an individual sport like golf. What does a day look like for, for a golf student? Yeah. It, I mean, it kind of falls in line with a lot of, a lot of the other sports. I think, you know, we would do our weight training in the morning. So basically every day, Monday to Friday, six thirty AM weight training. Typically we try and get our classes scheduled from eight o'clock until noon um, so I go to class all morning and then, uh, you know, one or two, whenever we could get out to our, you know, golf learning center practice facility, we get out there practice two to five back to the dorm, have, have some dinner, eat food, whatever. Then we had to go to study tables. Our coach was big on making us go into the, the study hall and log in a certain number of hours. So pretty much in there for an hour or two after, um, you know, after you eat, and get to bed early because you got a 6 a.m. wake up call coming pretty much. So did that was, you know, 80 percent of my days followed that, that pretty much same structure. If we didn't practice, we'd maybe try and play. If you could get out of class, you know, around noon, then you could get out on the course and, you know, play 18 holes. If you start at one o'clock. So a little variety in the practice and play. But um, it was pretty much structured where we were out there every day, every afternoon. Yeah, believe me, I wasn't at a Division One school, and my the study hall was not quite as as rigorous in my school. But it was it was every Friday morning, and for some reason, we decided Thursday nights was our drinking nights, and yeah. study <laughs> hall did not go over well a lot of we times. Did, uh, yeah, during our I think during our off season, maybe for for a few months stretch, we would have uh, Wednesdays would be our off day from our workouts. So Tuesday was our. Uh, get into one now you did go to school with uh with Mackenzie Hughes a fellow a fellow Canadian did you guys know each other before did you create that bond at school basically did you know him before you went to school yeah I knew him quite well he was one of the guys um he's you know a couple years ahead of me in junior golf and grew up in he grew up in Dundas not far from Listowel and we played against each other in a number of tournaments I remember one of the first you know, tournaments I had success in, I won like a sort of a national under 13 or 13 under tournament 
um, and he, me and he and I battled um, down the stretch. It was actually hosted at Listowel Golf Club, so I had a distinct home course advantage. <laughs> um, the first time I met him, I think, was there. Um, we had a good battle in the tournament, and uh, he was kind of a guy who he was always, you know, a step ahead of me in the junior golf and he was always a little bit better just being a, a little bit older and someone that I kind of looked up to and um, I kind of wanted to follow in his footsteps in, in a sense um, knowing that he was going to to Kent State and you know didn't have you know we weren't I wouldn't say we were uh, as friendly as we were at school before that um, our relationship really you know developed a lot at school and became great friends and um, now you know, it's, it's continued to get better. We're both uh, living our dream on the PGA tour. So it's been, uh, it's been fun to kind of share the journey with him. You know, he was in my wedding, I was in his wedding and, uh, we have, uh, we have fun on tour now. Now you guys get to kind of, uh, uh, not only compete against each other, but you guys get to watch each other succeed now as you move forward in your golf careers. How special is it to kind of have, have someone that you can, you know, you mentioned kind of looking up to him as being a few years behind him, but how special is it to be able to compete with him out there and kind of celebrate your wins as well. How often do you check where he is compared to you in a tournament? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's really cool. Golf obviously is an individual sport. So, you know, you're, you're trying to beat everyone else, but the, not just McKenzie, there's a great group of Canadians on tour and we're all cheering for each other. Um, you know, eat a lot of dinners after the rounds together. So we can keep, keep tabs on, on one another, you know? Um, but when one of us is playing well, he can get a lot of support from the other guys. You know, they're always cheering us on, um, cheering each other on, whatever. So uh, it's been good. He, he had some great success uh, at the end of the season. He uh, played his way into the tour championship and, um, you know, he's been off to a, a pretty good start this year as well. So it's a lot of fun, you know, to be a part of the mix, but good friends with Nick Taylor as well, British Columbia and Adam Hadwin been play a lot of practice rounds together. Um, David Hearn's been out there for a while. Um, just, a yeah, ton of, ton of the Canadian guys. It's, it's kind of fun uh, group to be a part of. Now golf, much like, uh, other things obviously in the world right now has had to change a whole lot, um, to continue moving forward. Has there been any really difficult changes for you getting back out onto the course really, uh, during this pandemic? Yeah, it's been, I don't know, getting tested all the time with a stick jammed up your nose isn't <laughs> the, the best feeling in the world, but, um, you know, it's, it, it's not too bad overall. I think the PGA tour has done a fantastic job at trying to, you know, provide a, us with a safe atmosphere. It, it kind of sucks traveling around, not allowed to like eat out at restaurants and stuff. So you got to figure out some takeout places and just spend a lot of time by yourself in the hotel after the, after you leave the golf course, not, uh, not the greatest. Fortunately, my wife's been able to travel the last few weeks and um, you know, provide a little normalcy in that sense. Um, the one, the biggest thing that's been hard to adjust to is not having fans on the golf course. It's it's just a weird, a weird thing. You know, we, we're used to playing in front of fans and it's a lot more fun playing in front of fans. I find for me, it kind of you know, heightens my focus a little bit when the fans are there and it pumps you up too. And, you know, good things happen. You get on a roll, the crowd's cheering for you. And that definitely gives you a little boost of adrenaline and some positive mojo, I think. And that's been missing in some rounds. It's been tough for me to kind of like, you know, not be too mellow and try and, you know, get up for some big moments without having the people there. Um, 
but yeah, it's, I'm happy that we're able to play. It's nice that, you know, we know a lot of people haven't been able to work or, you know, financial hardships are happening all over. Um, so I'm very fortunate to be able to still play and, and make some money. Yeah, I think that was like starting the PGA Tour back up, a lot of people were saying or were talking about the fact with no fans that it would probably lower some scores because, you know, there wasn't that distraction behind the green or anything like that. But I think we've seen kind of the, the opposite direction where it's it's kind of kind of stayed stagnant, I would say, where it hasn't really affected anyone either way. But I wanted to go back to um, to the actual day on on the tour with uh, this the uh, COVID procedures what does it look like when you show up to a tournament? What do you go through? And do they have like cops watching you, not making sure you don't go out to the restaurants or is it just on your own word? Um, yeah, you're pretty much on pretty much on your own, but I think, you know, all the players, there's enough officials around looking out for you, but yeah, you, um, so before you travel, um, you do a at home test for COVID. Once you get the result back from that, um, you're able to travel to the tournament. Um, once you arrive at the tournament, you get tested right when you arrive and you're not allowed to um, go on to the, to the course or any of the facilities until you do your test and you get your result. So there's a confirmation booth basically once you get your result that they give you, you know, a credential to let you access the facilities, let you go register at the golf course and then ultimately go and play. Uh, every day when you arrive at the course, there's, we get texted this questionnaire um, you have to fill out when you arrive at the course, you get uh, your temperature taken, um, then some questions asked. And, um, you know, there's a lot of security making sure that uh, only people who are in the bubble are in certain areas or allowed on the property. And that's definitely been heightened a little bit. Um, as far as, you know, you still leave the golf course, you, you're, sort of out in public if you want to be you're going back to the hotel um there's no one really watching over you but it's just kind of you know hoping that all the players are kind of following the rules being careful and not putting themselves in in situations that you know could could expose them where in turn it could expose a lot more people on the tour so i think all the players are pretty smart about that um but yeah the, the tour tries to yeah, provide us with the right info and, and keep us under control. Now, are you back in list tool now? No, I haven't been back uh, all year. Um, just with the, the quarantine. I, my full time residence is in uh, Florida in Palm beach gardens. So that's where I'm, I'm at this week off week. Um, and I've spent, you know, spent the whole time that the tour was shut down here and things were also shut down. So didn't uh, get up to a whole lot um around here but was able to still golf a little bit yeah now you just mentioned you're on an off week here um what was in your decision making to take the off week this week how often do you take off weeks and you know leading up to the masters was it just you know take a couple weeks a couple weeks away from the masters take a week off get some rest and then ramp back up yes so my ideal situation is to play um two or three weeks in a row and then have a week off i I find that when I start playing, you know, four or five, six weeks in a row, um, uh, mentally start making some poor decisions, physically get a little bit tired and start developing some bad habits in my golf game. So, you know, if I limit myself to kind of only playing three weeks in a row and then I'm home for a week, I'm able to sort of reset, um, 
you know, make sure I take care of my body and sort of not get uh, developing any bad habits. So that was basically it. I played the, the last two weeks. I was in uh, Vegas and LA for two events. And um, you know, it just happened the tournament they're playing this week that I took off is in Bermuda. So the, the travel would have been pretty challenging to get from uh, LA to Bermuda. And they also required you to do a, a number of other, you know, COVID tests because it was an international uh, travel. So it worked out well that I could spend this week at home next week in Houston. And I do like to play the week before a, a major championship. We'll say sometimes after a week off, maybe not at my best, you know, right out of the gate. So I'll be able to kind of learn and get some feedback or assess where my game's at in Houston, you know, going to work hard on it these next few days and the rest of this week when I'm home, but be able to test it under tournament conditions in Houston. And, and that'll provide me some good feedback going into Augusta, knowing what I need to sharpen up. Now you talked a little bit there about how you kind of, uh, you like to take some time off and then you get a tournament in before you go play a major. Do you change anything in the way you prepare before you go into a major tournament, like the masters, or do you kind of just prepare like it's any other tournament? Yeah. As, as much as I can, I try and prepare like it's any other tournament. I think you can psych yourself out, um, you know, making too big of a deal of it. Obviously, it's a really important tournament. Obviously, you know, I want to do really well. But I think just taking it, you know, as as much like any other week as I can um, is going to be the secret. And I think that's the secret for a lot of guys. Um, you can get too far ahead of yourself and you can over-prepare. You can end up, you know, wearing yourself out early in the week and you get to the T first T on, on Thursday for round one. And, you know, you, your body's not recovered, you, you know, your energy levels a little lower. So I think kind of following my same routine um, as uh, I have every other week is something that I'm going to focus on this time. You know, it's very difficult because you get to Augusta and you're like, you want to be at the golf course all day because it's such a magical place. And that's something that will be difficult to say, all right, just need to take it easy. Go have a, you know, have a nap and take care of the body. Yeah. I don't think I'd be napping even, <laughs> even at nine in the morning when I get up onto the tee and my hands are still shaking from a night of drinking. There's, there's nerves there. I can't imagine seeing it up at, at Augusta, but you know, when you talk about sports venues, you're looking at like Boston Gardens, you're looking at, you know, the big house in football, you're looking at Fenway Park and baseball, these places that are just legendary. Augusta Nationals put in that in that kind of bracket. What's it like showing up to such a legendary golf course and, and knowing that you're about to play it maybe for the first time and then the second time and now your third time? Yes. Um, it's incredible. You know, the master's tournament is one of the biggest tournaments in pro golf every year and it's played at the same golf course. So that the venue has just, you know, really gained a lot of prestige and that's one of the most well-known golf courses, probably one of my favorite golf courses and a number of people who've played it, their favorite golf course. It stood the test of time. It's just a unbelievable place. So, you know, thinking back to 2015 when I first played in the masters, you know, it's, you just feel like a little kid uh, going to the golf course this is so exciting, such a magical atmosphere. There's something kind of in the air that is, is remarkable there that um, is, I don't know. It's hard to explain, you know, for people who have been fortunate enough to be there, you, you just get a sense that it's a place unlike any other, even last year um, going back for my second time, you just, you feel like a little kid. It's so exciting to get there. It's such a special feeling kind of driving down the famous Magnolia lane, 
um, you just get treated so well. You feel really special playing there. So looking forward to it again, I'm sure, you know, have some, some nerves and butterflies be excited to get going, but it's just a magical place that it's hard not to have a smile on your face and enjoy yourself. Yeah, I can only imagine getting to uh, getting to play there and and getting to to go back there once again this year. Do you kind of learn anything from your first two times there and playing at that course and and going into this third time? Do you kind of take some of those lessons and are a little bit more comfortable going in this year? Yeah, a big time. Um, you know, knowing what to expect on on each day, um, knowing how to prepare. I think. You know, I'll have some some key holes that I'm going to take a look at in my preparation and, you know, make sure I have a good plan for those. Um, it's one of the trickiest golf courses we play. The, the greens are, are really challenging. And over the last few years, you know, I've learned a lot and I'm really looking forward to getting back. I, I feel like, you know, my experience is yeah, I'm just going to continue to get more experience there. And the experience I have on the golf course is going to be really helpful uh, going forward my first time playing it, um, you know, made some mistakes that I, I won't make again, basically. And, um, yeah, I think the more you play it, the more you get to know it, there's just so many little intricacies of the golf course and so many tricks that it can throw at you. Um, but you can definitely learn, uh, learn how to score and learn, yeah, learn the, all the tricks and how it's supposed to be played. All right. Uh, I got a couple more questions for you here and I think we'll let you go. First, what would it mean to be to put on the green jacket? That's, I mean, it's hard <laughs> to put that into words. I remember watching Mike Weir win in 2003, and that was kind of a highlight of my childhood. Um, really kind of got me motivated to get you know, more into golf as well. But, you know, the list of champions is the who's who of golf, and it'd be pretty amazing uh to to put on that green jacket you know got a got a lot of work to do before i can make that a reality but you know if i keep you know playing in the masters for, for years to come i i like how it sets up for my golf game you, you gotta be a really good iron player it's one of my strengths and um it'd be just amazing to uh dream come true really i'm sure every young golfer dreams of putting on the green jacket so that'd be uh, be pretty amazing well, when you're uh, when you're teeing up on your final hole there, and you're uh, you're one back of the lead or something, I want you to remember that the Smitty and Mitty show put money on you <laughs> to win the tournament. We were looking at the odds, and we couldn't turn it down. So, so just think about that. Get, give us one of these when you're <laughs> when you yeah. win, just so we know you're thinking of us. Hopefully, hopefully I'm not trailing uh, on the last hole. Hopefully, I've got a, a one or two shot lead. Well, we got <laughs> we got to make it intense, right? An eagle yeah. to end it. Yeah, to I'm win. sure it's going to be intense enough if he's uh, if he's that close. Yeah, to you got to you got to plug one to win it that's the only way to do it um so the final question here from me uh probably the most important question of the day me noah two eight handicap golfers versus you who wins <laughs> i think i'll take you down i've got a lot of experience playing against some of my buddies uh buddies at home i uh, put a couple beers in us and i don't know <laughs> yeah <laughs> It might have the opposite effect on me, so you might have to see if that gets going. But it uh, it'd be pretty close. It depends what if you guys. I think you guys could play a scramble. We'd have yeah. to play a scramble. Yeah, that's the only way. And, uh, it would be. Yeah, it'd be a pretty good match. But you know, 
I think the only problem is we our approach would be 150 yards back of yours off the tee and, <laughs> yeah and we'd be chipping from the we're, green we're losing out of yeah. the gate already so yeah yeah we would be behind for sure <laughs> thanks yeah, Corey. we re- like, I really appreciate it yeah pleasure talking to you smitty and mitty are doing movember you know what that means had your kids had your wife and hide your razor too who cares if you can't grow a mustache? Just do it! Grow some hair on that upper lip. I had a mustache once. A lady friend's called it a tickler. This is the Spitty and Mitty Show. Back at it again. Who did it better? Not you. I did. Not, it, was not you. it was me. I did it better. I don't know about Just that. Just admit it. Admit it when you're wrong. I did it I better. Don't, I don't admit anything when I'm, when I'm right. Co- what? Corey Connors. <laughs> Corey Connors. Corey Connors. Corey Connors. Thank you. Thank you very much, Corey, for uh, for doing that for us. Um, uh, He's a busy man. He is a very busy man, except for this week where he was doing nothing. Well, I would say he was doing nothing. He does have the Masters in two weeks. That's true. That's true. That's true. And he, did, he was just coming off... Uh, I don't think we talked about it. Just coming off a of Zuzu Championship, where he, uh, I'm not sure what golf course he finished eighth at uh, 15 under. Eight, he yeah. had he had something like a, I want to say it was like five or six under on the front, uh, or on the front nine, and on the on the fourth day there, it was an incredible showing. And we were just looking it up. What was it? A five dollar bet. Five dollar bet pays out like almost a grand if you put it down on him for the Masters. For Corey to win the Masters, and he said he'd come back if he won the Masters. He did say that. So I think we need to put money down on him winning the Masters, and we can win twice. Probably not a terrible idea. Two not times. Idea. He's been golfing well, and like he said, the course he's his third time there. Uh, his the course plays into his long iron shots, something that he's he uh, he believes is his strength. And uh, after he wins, then we can say that we're going to play uh, a championship golfer. Yeah, he. Uh, you mentioned it. It's his third time going to the Masters. No, we're going to play him. No, we're not playing him. Yeah, and we're going to beat him. <laughs> Yeah, I. You just had to ask at the end there if he thinks he could still beat us if we played like a four man scramble. Man, I think we could have him. I don't know. About uh, granted, that. I think we need a golf. couple good golfers with You've us. It's not. Golf. It's not you and me. We're not beating him. <laughs> we'd have to take like uh, another couple top one hundred golfers in the world, and then maybe we'd. Beat and we him. need like we need to get him all tobaccoed up too, and and boozed up, just like his if college a, days. Yeah, if he gets a little tipsy, <laughs> maybe he can. Uh, maybe we can beat him. I don't know. I don't know. But if he's tipsy, I'm probably tipsy, and then um, you know, my golf game. Oh, my game. My golf game goes down here no. to start, and then it goes. No, no, no. My golf game goes low. right through the sky with a couple pops, with a couple wobbly pops. Um, yeah, I, there's no chance in hell. But anyways, uh, thanks to him for coming on, and uh, a really a pleasure to talk to him and uh, talk, you know, a little bit about the Masters and about the course, and like you said, how it kind of plays into his style. He gets uh, warmed up with the Houston Open this upcoming weekend and then goes right back into the Masters. So, uh, you know, we'll certainly be rooting for him. Yeah, it's a weird Masters. We talked about it a little bit there. You know, no crowd. No crowd. Which is a strange thing. Like the Masters, it's such – do you know how you get into the Masters? How How you get tickets for it? It's a draw, right? Every yeah. year, thousands, millions of people go into this draw, and you get your name pulled, and you you can go partake in the Masters. It's it's such a pristine thing you get to do in golf is to go actually see the Masters and see Augusta up close. One of our our mutual friends, he actually got a chance to go play Augusta somehow, but he actually ended up on the course, and it's something that is just to be marvelled at. Like we talked about a little bit the 
how different venues and different sports are kind of held to that that high yeah, expectation that high and and the being the best in the world and that uh, next to between that and St Andrews I didn't ask him it was on the tip of my tongue but between that and St Andrews it's close I might give the edge to St Andrews but it is close probably Those depends t- on where you are in the world too right I think a lot of people here would say well, there's so many di- there's they're just different courses right yeah it's I think totally different the skill that is needed at St Andrews is completely different than than the skill needed at Augusta. You know, you got a wide open links course in you're playing in sleet, you're playing in front of way, way more passionate people. Like really. That's that's their sport out there, so we're getting off topic. But <laughs> Corey Connors. And you just heard our Movember campaign, the lad too. Yeah, Movember campaign. We'll uh, we'll give a little shout out to that again while we got your attention. Uh, so make sure you donate to that and make sure you uh, keep up to date on our mustaches and and how they're going as we uh, move forward into the month of November. Are we gonna name them? I'm not naming mine. Let's you name can, a mustache. You can name yours. I want to name I'm my not mystique. Naming mine. Gross. Because it, it blends into every. No, yeah, you can't even see it. You can barely see it. You'll you won't see anything by the it end. Blends of the month. into my lip. He's not a great mustache grower. Um, we move into November. Some of your mom said. <laughs> Cut that out. Uh, we we. <laughs> we <laughs> we move into November, the halfway point of the NFL season. Mitty, we're not doing great in the bets, but let's just kind of move away from the bets for a quick second and talk about the Bills. I know they're your favorite team. Are you, ha- are you happy? You. Yeah, are are you happy with how they've they've played so far this, this season? This is going to surprise you. They've lost me in the past couple of weeks. I really believe they were a contender to start the year. I believe that they were strong enough to definitely win the division and definitely push a round or two into the playoffs. But I don't believe it anymore. You know what? They haven't showed up against anybody like a Bengals team that, uh, granted, played really well and went out and beat a Tennessee team that's top in the league. But you know, against the Pats, you only win on a Cam Newton fumble, uh, Kevin, and <laughs> uh, they just haven't. It hasn't been there. Josh Allen has not looked good. Well, he hasn't looked like him. You know, he's putting up decent numbers, but it's not what he did to start the year, and that's what really was carrying this football team. They're not. They've lost me. You don't think they still have, you know, the best chance to win that division, though? Oh, for sure. But uh, you just don't think they're going. And you know what? I think the second team is the Dolphins. Dolphins for sure. Say. They, they impressed I mean, us we last watched week the, as yeah, well. They watched that. We watched that. Well, they were on bye last week, so they didn't impress us very much last week. But uh, this, week, this week, yeah, this week they, uh, uh, yeah, they they looked really strong. We both had the Rams. We didn't really expect. Um, to uh, to really do what he did, and uh, granted, the defense did some points for them, but the defense was very, very, very strong in that game. There wasn't a whole lot going on. They're they're a strong team, so I think it it does still goes Bills and it still goes Dolphins, and then you're looking at the Pats, and that's somewhere that Bill does not like being. No, but I mean the Bills, you know what? Even at uh, where are they at now, six and two. I think they have the division, but you know what? I agree with you. They haven't impressed me to the point where I think they can make. A couple rounds into the playoffs, a legit thing, and I'd be very surprised. You mentioned they've played some teams where they just haven't looked good, and and to be honest with you, I think moving forward, they're gonna have to really you know ramp up their game. You mentioned Josh Allen, I think he's really got to kind of you know step his game up a whole lot if the Bills want to have a shot at honestly winning a playoff game, if not moving a game or two into the playoffs. Yeah, we still don't have Brown, right? Like, Brown's still not back, which is, that's a big receiver to kind of take some of the pressure off of Stephon Diggs. So let's see when, when Brown comes back, what what that adds to um, 
to what Allen maybe is losing with not having that number one receiver. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel kind of defeated with how this team has played. They need to come out with an, a nice, strong game to try and, you know, prove me wrong a little bit. Well, let's, uh, before we talk too much about the NFL, let's go ahead and uh, welcome in Mr. Blake Rubin for this week's Maker Blake. You're a gambler, a degenerate like us. How much you want to bet? I will bet you one dollar. Don't let people tell you who the underdog is. Opinions are like assholes. Everybody has one. Even when you run out of money. I declare bankruptcy! We help you put your money where your mouth is. Balake, where is Balake at? This is Make or Blake with our insider, Blake Rubin. Make or Blake with Blake Rubin. Blake joins us here for uh, yet another week on the Smitty and Mitty Show. And, uh, Blake, yet another week where me and Mitty are sitting here scratching our heads, wondering what the hell went on on Sunday. Yet another week where pretty much everyone is wondering that. This seemed like the week where it seemed locks were almost inevitable if we just, you know, go back in time seven days. And, of course, given that's the halfway point nearly of the season – the NFL decides, decides to, you know, just turn itself up on its head. Again, why not? Why, why, why keep money? But, uh, you know, let's see if we can uh, get get these picks uh, for next week a little bit more secure. It was just so frustrating. Every single pick yeah. I put down was like, oh, this, this should hit, this should hit, this should hit. And then it was just nothing. Like the whole afternoon, just right from kickoff was like, are you kidding me? All, the, all day, That's that was my feeling. And I couldn't even drink because I had to come here. <laughs> <sighs> it was just a week of anything can happen and will happen. And th- these were games where if you lost on your bets, if you lost on your parlay, y- you know, it was in the weirdest way, w- ways where the odds were so minimal, you couldn't even expect. And given that the trade deadline's coming up, I'm sure now teams are also going to be a little bit more on edge as to really what's necessary to keep and what's necessary to, to sell. Now, you mentioned that uh, earlier on, we're getting to that halfway point. We're at that halfway point of the season. Trade deadline's coming up this week. Blake, are there any teams you think are going to be really big movers, really trying to make a couple moves here as we get to the deadline? So everyone's talking about the Patriots uh, this season, and and why not? You know, they're now 2-5 uh, and five on the season. And going into the trade deadline, there's so many questions. Stephon Gilmore who's, you know, now injured is, is being thrown out there for the reigning defensive player of the year. Cam Newton's being thrown out there wondering, is this really the right guy for Belichick to continue with? And I think this is why they put him on just a one-year contract. It's essentially an experiment and it's an experiment that's failing. If you really want to get into the nitty gritty of it. And I think a trade that really makes sense though, for Newton, I don't agree with selling Gilmore, but if you trade Cam Newton to the New York giants who are most likely going to fire their head coach, you know, later on or at the end of the season, Chiefs offensive coordinator Eric Bieniemy has been linked to a number of different teams, whether it's rumored or not. There's no reason why this guy wouldn't be get head coaching offers. Daniel Jones clearly has not worked out for the Giants. I think we can all agree this was uh, a bust when he was announced as a sixth overall pick a couple years ago, and he's essentially a bust still now. Yeah, it's only two years into his career, but it's just not working out. But you bring Cam Newton in, 
you can add him with guys like Saquon Barkley next year, who is much more cautious at, you know, pairing up that read option. I'd say if you're opposing defenses, because now you got to worry really about is Cam going to run the ball? Cause the throwing has not been working out, but the running is still there. Or are you going with arguably the best running back in the NFL, even if he's coming off a torn ACL? So I think that system combined with the as head coach, obviously a lot of uh, pieces need to connect in order for this to happen. I think that would be a trade that would work out well for the Patriots. And then you can solely focus on the tank for, on the tank for uh, Trevor Lawrence. And right now the giants are, you know, rumored to be a lock for the second overall pick. So that's not bad either. You can, you can get that second overall pick from New York. You can draft, you have a higher chance of drafting Trevor instead of just focusing on your own pick because who knows how the rest of the AFC is going to unfold. So I think Cam Newton of the Giants actually makes the most sense for both those teams. The thing about Belichick and the Patriots is, you know, everyone was talking about when Brady moved on, what it was going to be like, who was going to be the winner and who was going to be the loser here. And I think it's pretty obvious that as of right now, Tom Brady is the winner of that whole situation. But the thing is, how long is Belichick even going to, is going to coach for versus how long is Brady going to play for? I think Belichick has a much longer time and I think he knows that. And not that all he does is build to try and one up Tom Brady, but he's trying to build this franchise into what it should be we all know that's why Tom left for the most part, right? There weren't the pieces around him and they didn't, they weren't going out to spend for him. So I think the Pats are, they're not tanking, but they're trying to show that, Hey, we can rebuild from, from a draft, something that they haven't done in forever. But they, they can't seem to hit on any draft picks period. But that being said, are, are they dead in the water? Would you even worry about them in any games? Right now I'd say so. And obviously losing to uh to the Bills and the way they did should put a little bit of an asterisk, I think, on it, right? Because it wasn't a blowout loss. It was a three-point loss that just so happened to come off a fumble to end the game. That that happens more often than, you know, fans and analysts give credit for. Um, I do think right now the, the Bills have essentially locked up the uh, AFC East. The Dolphins, they're on the right track. They're not the Bills. They're not as complete. Um, obviously they're now just getting into the throw of things with a brand new quarterback and two at the helm. So I think that we have a new AFC East here. We have a new King of the division and with the Patriots, it's interesting because you really don't know how long this whole dead in the water thing, which I do think is what they're at right now is going to last because Belichick might not have the best draft history but we've clearly seen all he needs is that quarterback, that quarterback to handle everything on the offense because he's always been a defensive mastermind, right? It's the reason he won that, uh, that Super Bowl with the Patriots in Super Bowl 53 that was, you know, was a dud of a game, but just a phenomenal defensive performance all around. And when, when you have those two elements where one doesn't have to really worry about the other, I think it takes a little bit of the pressure off. So I think right now they're done in the water, but I don't think this is going to last very long if they end up drafting Trevor Lawrence, which it's a big if, but I do think that this will not last for as long as people think. Let's move over to the AFC North quick. There is one undefeated team left in football right now. That is the Pittsburgh Steelers. A big win for them on Sunday against the Ravens. Are they legit? Would you call them Super Bowl favorites this early? 
I don't want to call them Super Bowl favorites. I definitely think they're a top two contender. Uh, I'm going to go with obviously the, the Kansas City Chiefs as my other pick for the Super Bowl to be represented by the AFC right now. With the Steelers, though, and you look at the schedule, it hasn't really been the most difficult. But the teams that are supposed to challenge them are. You know, they had a nail-biter victory against the Titans last week to decide who would stay undefeated. And then against the Ravens, it took Baltimore losing their starting tackle, Ronnie Stanley, who was, you know, considered one of the best and just a couple days ago became the highest-paid offensive lineman of all time. It's a very unfortunate injury. It also took, in my opinion, a really controversial ruling because you saw at the end of this game against the Ravens, Cam Hayward was on the ground. And when a player is injured, obviously it goes to injury timeout instantly. But for some reason, like eight seconds got shedded off the clock for the Ravens on that final drive to try and mount a comeback in the final seconds. And we all know that an extra eight seconds in the NFL is like an eternity. So you're now in the red zone, have one final play as opposed to 16 seconds on the clock where you could have had more time. And we know how much Baltimore likes to run the ball and, and then kill the clock immediately after. And to me, the, the fact that the ref's not knowing that while this player's injured, players are still marching downfield to try and clock this thing it is just baffling to me. So it was a little bit of a controversial finish, but I still would give the Steelers the credit where credit is due. This is in my opinion, the best defense in the league, hands down the best pass rush, the best pass rush, excuse me. And Ben's been really doing his job. He doesn't have to be the elite quarterback anymore. He just has to be secure. He's doing that in stride. And I think this is a very just complete mix of a team right now. Yeah, he's got so many weapons, which I think is scary. Is There's so many receivers that the ball can go to. And then you got Connor running the ball at the middle too. And don't forget how elite... Ben Roethlisberger has been for his whole career. We're going through a kind of a time right now where we have so many legendary quarterbacks playing. You know, we just tonight saw or today saw uh, Drew Brees passing the all-time uh, touchdown record, I, I believe, taking it back from Brady. Uh, before we get into your picks, I wanted to end with this, and I'm going to throw you on the hot seat here. Obviously, I don't think Brady is in the same realm as Brees, but my question is, is he all-time, and is Brady on track to be the best quarterback ever? I don't even think it's a debate. I think even before Brady went to Tampa Bay, we were looking at the best quarterback ever. Yeah, he won that sixth Super Bowl uh, on a rather, I don't want to say controversial win, but it was a win that had poor offensive performance. But you just look at the longevity. And I think, especially this season, with Brady still being able to put up consistent numbers, I just think shows why he is the best quarterback ever. And the you know, I grew up a Ravens fan, so this is uh, killing me to finally admit it. Um, you know, you can only state the case for Joe Montana for so many years. But with what Brady did, with the amount that he had, that little amount, I think is much more impressive. Because remember, Brees has also had, yes, a great story. Yes, a Hall of Fame career. There's always been seasons where he's at least had one true pro bowl or all pro worthy receiver in my opinion for the longest time was Marquise Colston who, who never really got credit he was almost like a just a bit of a smaller Calvin Johnson prototype you look at what Chase Claypool for the Steelers who in my opinion right now is rookie of the year is now Marquise Colston for the Saints was exactly like that and you know then it shifts to Michael Thomas after a couple years in the dirt but Brees still putting up 5,000 yard seasons but it's also a matter of winning right that's what this all comes down to especially 
for the most important position. No one wins more than Tom Brady. No one achieves more than Brady. Uh, I think it's very hard to put Drew Brees as that GOAT label above Brady yet, especially because there's also, you know how it is with GOAT debates. It can go to like eight different quarterbacks you can you can label off as a GOAT. Everyone has their opinions, but I think it's just so hard to argue against what Tom Brady has done. Yeah, we do that in every sport too, right? <laughs> Where it's it's hockey. It's it's the great one versus McDavid. It's yeah. well, they're playing in different times. It's Jordan yeah. against LeBron, right? How do you compare the two? And when you take Football is maybe the easiest to kind of... Because they play in the same era, right? Like a lot of these quarterbacks. <laughs> yeah, but it's still a different sport, right? Like yeah. it's still, it still changes like huge between the decades, between Montana and between Tom Brady. You know, there's a huge change there. The thing that amazes me is how many Hall of Fame quarterbacks we're seeing right now. Like you look at Aaron Rodgers, you look at Ben Roethlisberger, you look at Tom Brady, you're looking at Drew Brees. There's so many people who are just knocking on that door of the Hall of Fame. And I don't know if we appreciate what we're seeing on the tail end of these careers that we might not ever see again, something like like Favre leaving. And you, you don't really appreciate what he was until he's gone. So I just think we should appreciate what's happening. Well, I, I think we should too. But I also think the reason this longevity with modern quarterbacks is happening right now is because the league has changed and the game has changed, right? It's a much safer game than it was 20 years ago, you know? And I think if you take a guy like Patrick Mahomes, who has all the talent in the world and, you know, all the weapons in the world at his disposal, but if you put him up against a, a defense like, you know, the Ravens in 2000, that was so hard hitting and so aggressive and flags were nowhere near as called as much back then as they are now. And don't get me wrong. It's good that the NFL has evolved to a safer game, but I, you know, you can't see really 50 touchdown seasons happening in like the, the beginning of the new millennium. Right. And I think that that longevity is going to continue. I think we're going to see, you know, the new crop of league quarterbacks like Mahomes, uh, Lamar Jackson, sort of in that conversation, but not really. I think it's finally time we give Russell Wilson the, the nod of being a league quarterback. These That's true. Someone I didn't even think about someone who gets overlooked. Yeah. Uh, several times. And I think probably has a better case for a hall of fame than t- at least two of those quarterbacks that I just mentioned. Absolutely. And I just think we're going to see them around for honestly, as long as, you know, guys like Tom Brady and Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers have stayed around. Absolutely. Uh, we get into the second half of the NFL season, Blake, uh, let's go ahead and uh, hear your picks for the upcoming week nine. Okay. I don't care what anyone says that dolphins win against the Rams might have been the sham win of the season so far. So I understand Dolphins. it's cool that the Dolphins got that one over, but guess what? Two of those scores, one of them, punt return for a touchdown. The other one, fumble return for a touchdown. You take those two scores away, Rams end up winning that game. Two only had 95 yards, or sorry, 93 yards on the game off 22 passes. I'm not that confident in this team, and they're going against the Cardinals next week in Arizona. I think the Cardinals are the most underrated team in the league they're coming off a huge overtime win against seattle kyle murray has actually been one of the more unsung heroes of the season so far i think the defense is perfectly fine so i'm taking the cardinals on this one they're already a minus five favorite and i don't see why you wouldn't go with them i i do think it was i don't want to say a fluke win against the rams that the dolphins have but i think it it covers more than what's actually there my uh second one is a little bit of a risk I feel like we haven't really been risking it enough, even though for some reason the football gods haven't been too kind to these picks. I like it. Let's get the but payout, baby. <laughs> I like the Raiders uh, covering the spread against the Chargers. Chargers are a two and a half favorite, but 
the Raiders have been able to somewhat show what they can do against pretty high powered and talented offenses. You know, they beat the chiefs last week. They, they take on a Browns team that yeah is inconsistent, but still when they win is putting up over 30 points a win. They shut them down to only six points uh, recently, getting that 16 to six win over the, over the Browns. I like what's going on in Las Vegas. Is it supposed to be as talked about as, you know, the Cardinals or the Seahawks? Not really, but uh, this is a team that's heading in the right direction. We don't really know what the Chargers are at this point. It's all over the place. I understand they can put up 30 points whenever they want. This is still a very impressive uh, Raiders defense, in my opinion. So I take the Raiders to beat the spread on this one. Uh, This time, though, the third one, we're going to have to go with a lock. The Patriots in New York, Bill Belichick, you already know, is pissed. He is not happy with this team at all. If there's any team you want to take your anger out on, it's the Jets. It's going to essentially be like, you know, the stories you hear about bullies when you're a kid. Bullies are secretly just people who are angry at themselves. This team is angry, and they're going to take it out on, you know, the, the gawky, nerdy kid roaming through the halls that unfortunately can't catch a break. And I don't think it's going to be pretty at all. I actually think it's going to be a little bit more one-sided despite the Patriots. Something that's been a little overlooked with New England, in my opinion, too, is their schedule hasn't really been easy. They've already played the Chiefs, Niners, Seahawks, and Bills. You know, that, that's going to throw anyone for a curve that early into a season with all the changes that happened in New England. But I would definitely take the Patriots to beat the Jets here. Seven-point favorite. I can't see this uh, end in uh, any way in favor of the Jets. I don't know why it frustrates me so much, but ever since the Bills game against the Raiders, I have believed that this Raiders team is legit. There is something going on there. They are a very, very good football team. And even seeing them come into uh, come into Cleveland this week and be underdogs, I jumped on that so quick. Yep. That That was a game that I was all over from the start. I don't know why even Vegas isn't giving them their, their due diligence, but like I, when you go out and you beat the chiefs and you go out and play the bills really, really, really tough. And then you go like, they just played so many good football games that I don't understand why they're being held as dogs on the road against a Cleveland team who, like you said last week is not, has not shown anything really to be considered that top elite talent. And then they go and beat them. It just make everyone look stupid. I don't get it. I think with the Raiders, they're almost the anti-Browns. You know, there's not a ton of star power on that team, right? You have Josh Jacobs, who's a phenomenal running back, but he's not really that broadcasted by, by like, you know, ESPN, Fox, all the big name companies, because he's not that grabby of a name. He's not that grabby of a personality. Derek Carr, we all know about. Um, you look at the defense, I think Max Crosby does not get the credit he deserves as one of the more consistent pass rush, pass rushers in this league. And even you know, Aguilar, like part- Aguilar is sorry. Aguilar has been a top 10 receiver for the last four, four weeks. He's, he's got a touchdown. I think all four weeks in the last four weeks and just nobody talks about what is going on. I just don't get it. I don't, I don't understand. And maybe it's the move. Maybe they don't want to throw, but you think they want to throw more attention on a team that just moved to a new place. Well, I think it's like with the the Vegas golden Knights in hockey, right? Yeah. It was grabby when it first happened, but throughout that season, even when though they made the Stanley cup final, 
you look at that inaugural season, the attention really wasn't there as much in the later stretch leading into the playoffs. Yeah, people were impressed that they were, you know, the head of the division, but obviously the focus was going to be on more just like bigger markets. And the Chiefs, who I think are one of the reasons the Raiders have as little exposure as they do, is because of the, the market they've made for themselves in that division. You know, Los Angeles getting another new team and this exciting young hot rookie in, in Justin Herbert. That's another player that you can really market towards. So I think it's a matter of no one's really looking at them because of the fact of what else is sort of around that division. But this is a team that could very well sneak into the wild card. Yeah, I don't know why. It just baffles me. And I don't want to go into the hockey thing either. But the thing about the Knights is that it was just it almost became a black eye for the league by the end where it's there's no way a new team in the league should be this good. That's kind of what it got to. And you don't have that with this because this is a moving team, not an expansion team. But we'll get off of hockey. We won't spend too much time on me just yelling. So uh, how about some uh, some games that you're not going to go for? So I'm going to stay away from the Ravens in Indianapolis on this one. Uh Ravens, of course, we talked about them losing Ronnie Stanley. They've also lost uh, another member of their offensive line, Phillips. You know, this is a team that loves to run the ball, loves to work behind their offensive line. You, you see it when Lamar takes the snap. He, he's p- very patient. He won't try and run right away. He analyzes first, and you're not going to have that same time in the pocket anymore. So... I do not trust the Ravens going into Indianapolis. And with the Colts, we know how up and down they are as a team. Uh, The defense is still very impressive. The offensive line is still very impressive. But for some reason, they're just not able to get crucial wins when they need to. And I think that's really what it comes down to. You know, they're they're getting nail-biter wins against teams that are nowhere near playoff ready. So I don't really know which way this game is going to go. Ravens, obviously the favorite here at uh, minus four. But I'd stay away from it. Um, the only other game I really am curious about staying away from is the Bears at Tennessee. I really don't know, and I don't want to quote, you know, too much throughout these, but we don't know what the Bears are. You know, the Bears are not who we thought they were. I really don't believe so. And with the Titans, you're coming off a loss to the Bengals. I think that should say everything there. I don't want to say this team was – a crocodile tears version of an undefeated team. Cause clearly the talent's there. Derrick Henry is still posting up great numbers. Ryan Tannehill can't have good games. He can't have bad games, but I think the the good really outweighs the bad. But after a loss like that to a team, that's just struggling to find any identity. I really don't have confidence in going down the stretch. So bears and Titans, I, I'd stay away from too. Everything else seems like a, a little bit more secure in my opinion. Obviously you have games like Broncos at the Falcons um, you know, Saints at the Buccaneers could go either way, but it's really a very toss-up week, in my opinion. Well, thanks, Blake. Uh, we appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll see how next week goes, and we'll see how the trade deadline goes this week as well. And uh, we could be looking at some new look teams next week. That was Blake Rubin joining us yet again here on the Smitty Mitty Show, uh, talking about football. But we'll move on from that. And uh, I can't wait till everyone can see can see his dress wear. He's got such like a hick dress for <laughs> yeah. such a city boy. He had like the plaid on with the nice hat today. He looks so fancy. 
He always dresses up for us. You know that, right? Yeah, I mean, we dress up for him. Look at us today. Sweatpants. <laughs> yeah, we're looking good. Uh, Mitty, this is the first episode we've had since the uh, World Series finished up. And uh, why don't we just go ahead and say our congratulations now to the LA Dodgers finally pushing through and finally winning that World Series title after being there so many years. Do you believe that, you know, the Dodgers this year – is there an asterisk beside that World Series title? It's a question that people ask all the time. No, no, no. I don't agree on it. At the end of the day, shortened season or not, it came down to the best two teams in baseball. There was no doubt about that. The season that. went really well. I think the season went pretty well for the MLB. They had that hiccup at the start, but it ended up well, and the games were they were really competitive. They were really good uh, baseball games. Now, the argument everyone's having now is, is that going to change the analytics versus – Versus, you know, the the go out and spend money. But I, the Dodgers were a much better team. The Dodgers the, were. Overall, they were a much better team. What the hell was Justin Turner doing? Oh, on the field. Listen, I, I, I know we, we're going to get into this, so we might as well do it now. Turner on the field can't happen. We, we both know that. It can't happen. But one thing we don't necessarily see eye to eye on is whose fault is that? The guy but, who tested positive. But is it like not saying that it's not his fault? But at what point is it not the MLB or the Dodgers' job to police that and say get him the hell off the field? He's not a he's not a kid. He's a millionaire that has been put into a situation where this league has pushed through so many things. And you know what? Let's let's be honest to ourselves and to all of our listeners. The league knew about that before the start of the game. But yeah, exactly. And how does how does it just come up? In, they knew about they it in the second inning, inning for sure. They knew about it in at latest the second inning, and they feared if they put it out there too early that that game would have to be canceled. And now you have other Dodgers that are testing positive, and now what do you do? Right. Well, and you know they were probably kind of they were kind of hoping that the Rays would win, and they wouldn't have to worry about it until tomorrow. I don't. I think exactly what happened is what they wanted to happen. Because if the Rays win, now you have tomorrow where you have to push back because you need to go through testing of, of these players who came in contact with Turner. And now you have, you know, let's say Kyle Seeger and Clayton Kershaw test positive. What do you do? Do you let the team go without their two best players and uh, playoff MVP? But how do? What I don't understand is how do? How does it just come up in the middle of a game? I think it Test came results, up way before. Right? Like that's what I think, right? They have these tests that that are that are fairly quick, right? So did he take one right before the game? And did it well, just come so back? So the day like... before he had taken a test that came back inconclusive. It came back. What, what's inconclusive though? It happens all the time. It comes back inconclusive. They didn't get a good swab, whatever. So he was tested the next morning. They said that the test got delayed, but they have a laboratory that is solely for them. With only two teams in the playoffs. Everyone's getting tested, but you can't rush Turners. You know it's inconclusive. Yeah. So there's, I can't fathom the fact that they didn't have that result early in that game. I, I can't even wrap my head around it. But I do understand. I do understand them saying, okay, let's get through this game. This is our last game. We need to get through this game. So I, I do understand. And I don't know why the eighth inning was the special time where you need to go, okay, pull them. But, you know, he gets yanked. But who tested positive? It was Justin Turner. He tested positive. It is his responsibility to isolate himself. It is, but like it just seemed like no one else even tried to stop him. How are you going to? I don't know. How do you stop a grown man 
who is an MLB player who is stronger than an ox to get onto the field when he wants to get onto the field to celebrate a championship. No, 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 no. If I come back from the States today, I am forced to quarantine. If somebody comes, if somebody finds me not quarantining, I can face jail time, jail time. And this guy was allowed to run back onto the field. Well, what, another thing that kind of baffles me and kind of blows my mind a little bit more is that it, it seemed like, so did no one else on the team not know, right? Did no one else on the team realize what had happened? Because they were all sitting there like it was all fine. It, it, they were taking pictures with him on the field. Everyone was close right up to him. Everyone was giving him hugs. Everyone, I mean, from, here's the thing. Players are put in a tough situation where somebody like Mookie Betts was told, you know, you have to, or, or what did you think about the Justin Turner thing? And he was, he's our teammate. He needs to come out. What else is he going to say? Yeah. There's nothing else he's going to say, right? That's what he needs to say. So he, they were put in a bad situation, but it's not the players. We all know the players are probably going to bounce back. You know, they're healthy. They're young. The problem, did you see the picture? He's right next to Dave Roberts. But did Dave Roberts not know? Does he not? It doesn't matter. Justin Turner knew. Justin Turner knew, and he sat right next to his 60-something-year-old manager that just fought cancer. I, I understand that, but at what point does everyone else not need to, someone needs to step up and say, hey, man, figure it out. Stop being an idiot. He's a grown-ass man. I know he is, but sometimes people, even grown-ass humans, need a little bit of a, you know, hey, smarten the hell up. Figure it out. You shouldn't be out here, right? You don't think that if all his teammates said, man, you can't be out here right now, you're dangering all of us? You don't think he would have got his ass back inside that locker room? You don't think that his own teammates telling him that he needs to get back inside would have changed that? I think it would have. I can't believe that there wasn't one guy that did But the fact that nobody did... Right, and if nobody goes out there and tells him that he's in the wrong, then he's going to think he's in the right. How do we know someone didn't? It, well, I mean, uh, that's uh, it's a very hypothetical question. But how do we know somebody didn't come to him and say, "Dude, didn't you test positive?" I get he was wearing a mask when he came out. He was, but he wasn't in the pictures, and that's when he's sitting next to Dave Roberts. My problem is, you know, you test positive. You know what? How you got it? I have no idea because you're supposed to be in a bubble. But you obviously, I think, did something that put yourself at risk. I think you had to have. And we don't know for sure, so I don't want to cloud him with that. It could have been an accident. But either could way... Have been a false positive. Either way, you tested positive. Either way, you were told to isolate. And either way, you came on the field. And the MLB told you, they, they strongly suggested, to not come out of the field. Yeah, but that, that goes again on the same thing I'm saying. What the hell is a strongly suggest? Tell him he can't go on the field. I Tell him he'll face a, a suspension. Tell him he won't get to play. Do you think there's anything that's going to come with this? I don't think they can get suspended. I don't think the players union will uh, come even close to allowing that. Does he take a fine? Sure. He just won the World Series. Who cares? He takes a $10,000 fine? I don't know. It's just I think the the way that whole thing went down, and it really at the end of the day, it's unfortunate for the MLB. That after how well things went, really, the season didn't start great. You know, there was the cases, games postponed, uh, you know, series pushed back. But as things went along, it seemed like the MLB got it figured out. Teams got it figured out that they need to be playing this safe, that they needed to be inside their own bubbles. You know, they went into the playoffs and, you know, what the cases were going well. There wasn't very many, if any, I think, cases once they went inside that bubble format. I just think that. The fact that this happened 
on the final game really sucks for the MLB. And there was, I don't think there was, there was no positives after they got into this bubble. But the, this was a situation that did happen throughout the year. And the Cardinals, shoot, I, I, Fletcher, I believe, tested positive mid-game. And they pulled him and allowed the game to continue. So they did set that president, president, is that right? President, sure. Mid-season where they allowed the, the game to continue going after a player had tested positive. Is that a problem? I don't see that being as much as a problem as what we're talking about that he was allowed to come back on. I don't I don't see them that being a black a scar on the face. A scar on the face is Manfred looks like an idiot. Yeah. Did you see like the all the the post game uh interviews he was doing? They said it was because his feedback was wrong, but that's what they said on the MLB network too. Like can this guy just not get feedback right? I don't know. Yeah, he looks like an idiot. There's no, I don't <laughs> Why? Why did he, Why was he even picked? Questions I don't have answers for, Mitty. All right. I'll Google them. <laughs> You're going to be stuck with Google once again. Uh, that's all the time we have today. Uh, thank you for listening this week, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week. Mm-hmm.